Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name is DJ. I'm one of your hosts. And thanks for joining me back at the canteen, one of our regular segments where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. This week, as we celebrate Holy Week, we're jumping ahead in the Gospel of Luke and examining Jesus' Palm Sunday entrance into Jerusalem. Pastor Blake focuses this week on the promise that if the disciples and the crowds were to keep quiet, the rocks themselves would cry out. So we examine this coming King and the reasons that we have to praise him. So let's listen in as Pastor Blake brings us this week's message. A good, good father. Uh, in, in many ways, right? And we are so thankful. We're, we're excited. You know, it's, um, <laughs> I'm going to cautiously say this, but I'm not even really cautiously. If you can't celebrate and be excited about someone, about the Lord saving someone, uh, it should create some questions in you, right? Because we're, we're unable to praise God if he hasn't saved us. But when we get to celebrate salvation, if there isn't something that wells up in you about the Lord saving someone for all of eternity, uh, it should cause us to question, because when he saves us, it's a miracle, right? It is a miracle that, that, quite frankly, everybody needs to know about. And when we get baptized, that's, that's what's happening. Uh, Lucas is making known to the world that, that God has done something in his heart. He is taking his heart of stone and turned it into a heart of flesh. He softened it, and he saved him for all of eternity. Um, you know, when God, God miraculously resurrects our sin-riddled hearts, Everything changes in our life. Everything changes. All of a sudden, we want to obey God. All of a sudden, we, we want to be different. We, we want to be His. Uh, he changes the desires of our hearts to be after His own. And, uh, and I, I'm just going to give you a heads up that today, if, if you see that and you're thinking, I'm not sure that I have that. I'm not sure that I desire what God desires. I, I'm not sure that I've given my life to the Lord uh, you're going to have an opportunity to do that at, here in just a little bit. And so um, it's, the, it's the single greatest question that you can answer. And that is the question, has God saved you? Has God saved you from your sins and given you life eternal with him? And uh, like I said, you're going to have the opportunity to answer that question uh, here in just a little bit. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. We are going to be talking, it's, it's Palm Sunday, right? Palm Sunday. We're going to uh, study the passage in Luke uh, about uh, Jesus' triumphal entry as we begin a little mini-series, two-week series called Ridiculous. It's just ridiculous because that's kind of what Easter is. And we're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. It's ridiculous. And so uh, we're going to read this passage, open God's Word, and think a lot about uh, where our hearts are. Are and what God does to them. So if you've got your Bibles, Luke 19, we're going to begin reading in verse 28. And uh, when we finish, we'll pray for our time in the Word. It says, When Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the young donkey, its owner said to them, 
why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their clothes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. And as he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Spirit, we pray that as you dwell in this place and as you dwell in us as believers in Christ, that you would teach us God's word. That you would remind us of the glorious truth that Jesus is alive and he has the power to bring life from death, even in us and even in our stories. Lord, I pray that in my own heart, you would, that you would heal my heart, that you would help my heart, and then as I share from God's word this morning that uh, they wouldn't hear from a man, but they would hear about a man named Jesus who rescues them, who resurrects their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hearts, our hearts are desperate to praise something powerful. They're desperate to do that. Uh, I think about the week that we've just experienced This past Monday, six people in Nashville lost their lives because they showed up for school on a day when another person showed up with a hard heart and a gun. Wednesday, everyone in my neighborhood locked their cars because Tuesday night, a car was stolen across the street from our house. Wednesday night, nine service members were killed when two Black Hawk helicopters crashed at Fort Campbell. This weekend, storms across the Midwest have taken more than 25 lives. Today, like today, it's estimated that somewhere between seven and 9,000 people will die in the United States. And statistics suggest that somewhere around 3,000 of them will die not trusting Jesus as their Savior. They will die eternally separated from the God who created them. And even as I share all that brokenness, the reality is is I probably haven't listed the piece of our broken world that impacted you the most this week. Something was happening in your life. Something was happening in your home. Uh, Something was happening in one of your relationships. We live in a very broken world, and brokenness around us forces us to see the brokenness in ourselves that often leads to a lot of frustration. Because when we recognize that we're broken, we just want to fix it. And when we realize that we can't, we begin to look for something more powerful than ourselves. You and I, you see, we're desperate. We're desperate for something powerful that we can praise. And so tongue-in-cheek, I ask the question, wouldn't it be nice if a good and sovereign king just stopped traffic on this new four-lane highway behind me, lined it with disciples, and rode a donkey right down the sod-covered middle of it? Wouldn't that be something? I mean, if that started happening, we'd probably just dismiss church and walk out there and start praising him, right? We're desperate 
We're desperate to praise something powerful, something bigger than ourselves. And yet, it kind of seems ridiculous to think that that scene would, would ever happen. The Mount of Olives in this story was on the east side of, of Jerusalem. And, and as Jesus and his disciples came near the peak of that mountain, they were overlooking Jerusalem. This past week, uh, the kids had a, a track meet on, in Frankfurt on Wednesday night. And so I was driving home on 60. And as you kind of come to the top of that, there's a couple of points where you, you're like, look, it's crazy. But you're looking down over Shelbyville, right? And you can kind of see the lights. Like, we kind of look like a city. It's crazy. Maybe. I'm from a really small town, okay? It was a big deal. There's lights. But, but, but this thing, right? Like, when they get to the top of Mount of Olives, it's, it's like twice as high as Jephthah Nob, and they're looking down into Jerusalem. And when they get there, he, he looks to his disciples, and he says, go get this donkey. And as the story goes, right, they go. They take the donkey. The owner lets them have it. And then Jesus rides it down the mountain into Jerusalem as his disciples wave palm branches, chant Hosanna, lay their clothes on the road. Now, I've, I've been in church. Maybe, maybe you haven't, and that's okay, but I've been in church my whole life. And this, this story has been pounded into my brain year after year after year. Like, you always preach this passage. You hear this story. If you're in kids' church, you wave the branch. Like, every year you do this, and that's not a bad thing. But if I'm really honest, I've got a whole lot of questions about this story. There's a bunch of them. Like, why did disciples just go when Jesus said go? Why did, why did the owners of the donkey have no issue with giving away their donkey? And for Pete's sake, why were people putting their clothes on the road? Now, Luke, as he writes his gospel, right, he's, he's known as the guy who gives lots of details. He was Dr. Luke. He liked the details. He gives his details. And so I'm thinking, Luke, if you're writing so that people would be certain about Christ, then why did you leave out the answers to these questions? But I think there's an assumed answer that sometimes we miss. If you look in verse 37, it says that these are disciples who are praising him at this point. What's that tell us? Well, it tells us that these aren't just townspeople lining up for a parade. These are people who had been on the journey with Jesus. They know who he is. And we know that even more by what they say when they begin to praise him. You see, these words that they say, are, are they're singing them from Psalm 118. This would have been a part of their quote-unquote Bible. And, and, and when they say these things from Psalm 118, they're saying, verse 26, he who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed, right? From the house of the Lord, we bless you. But the verse right before it says, Lord, save us. They, they know that this is their Savior who is riding into town. On the, There's no question that these disciples laying down their clothes know who Jesus is. And so I'm forced to think that it might be similar for the two disciples that Jesus told to go get the donkey. They had been traveling with him. They had encountered a, a, this, this, the full Jesus experience, and they didn't question him when he made such a strange request. But does that, does that explain the donkey? Like, like, why did they just let this donkey go? Well, if the answer to, to all of these other why questions is because they had encountered Jesus and they knew who he was, I have to think that the answer to that one is the same. 
Certainly in some way, and we don't, we don't know the details of how, but Jesus had made the owners of this unridden donkey certain of the one who was asking for it. Alistair Begg painted a possible picture of what this might have looked like in one of his sermons. He said, suppose God had made himself known to the owners of the donkey in advance. In some way, the Lord had communicated with him that two disciples were going to show up and want to take this donkey that would be tied up. And God says, here's how you're going to know that it's the right two guys. I've given them the password. You're like, the password? What's the password? The password is, the Lord needs it. And so when two guys show up, ask them, why are you untying the donkey? And the password is going to be, the Lord needs it. And when they say that, you know that it's for me. Now, whether it's an agreed upon password or some other encounter, the answer to why all these things happened is the same. They had encountered a good and powerful king, someone worth praising, someone bigger and more powerful than themselves. All of us have that in common. The writer of Ecclesiastes reminds us and gives us a reason as to why this is true, why we are desperate to praise. He says he's also put eternity in people's hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. There is something knit into our very being by God that, that our hearts are wired and our hearts are craving and desperate for eternity, for a perfect kingdom that only he can provide. You see, the reality is, is that you are here and you are listening today because something in you wants more. You want more for yourself. You want more for your family. You want more for your community, even something more for your world. Like you, you want more than the broken stories that we started this sermon with. You just are tired of all the brokenness that you see and, and you're longing, you're desperate to praise something more powerful than yourself. And yet, you know, and this is where it gets tough, right? You know that you are limited in your ability to fix all of that brokenness. But if that's true, then, then why, why is it so hard? Why do we end up praising things and people that aren't God? Why do we end up giving our heart to, to things that, that aren't eternal? Why, when it comes time to praise God, do we find our minds skeptical and our hearts hard? Why is that true? Praising God with a hard heart seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Like, when my heart's hard and, and I don't want to, like, I've gone through a bad week, I, like, going to church feels like the last thing I would want to do. Singing? Forget that. Praising God with a hard heart seems ridiculous. So the question is, how does our heart become so hard? You know, this can happen to our physical hearts as well. Researchers set out to ask that question about our physical heart. How does it become hard? Because there is a condition where your heart can begin to calcify and, and stop beating. And for a long time, uh, they've known that age and injury can cause our heart tissue to begin a process of calcification like the same process that makes bones can happen in our hearts as we get older and, and if there's an injury to our heart. But how that happened had largely been a mystery until these researchers began to, to study it. 
And what they found was that when an injury or, or something in the aging process happens, our body sends these little things called fibroblasts to help heal what was broken in our hearts. But often what happens, instead of healing things, is they start grouping together and they calcify or they harden to protect that wound. And all of a sudden, the heart becomes so hard that at times it stops beating. Now, if age and injury lead to this hardening of our physical heart, I want to suggest to you that sin and unbelief do the same to our spiritual hearts. God warns us in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. He says, Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be any of you, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. What hardens your heart? Sometimes it's sin in your own life that deceives you. The sin in your life begins to, to tell you that your desire for comfort is stronger than your desire for the Creator. Sometimes it deceives you into believing that your belief in self is, is greater. You trust yourself more than you trust your Savior. In those situations, sin has deceived you, and your heart begins to become hard. Sometimes it's not your sin, but it's the sin of others that injures you and causes disbelief. Being abused physically, emotionally, even spiritually creates this trauma, and those, those wounds from the trauma, they destroy trust, not just in the other person, but in the God who created them and you. Sometimes it's the sin of others when you felt judged from someone claiming to, to be a Christ follower who, who leaves you feeling even more isolated and alone than when you first started seeking Jesus in the first place. You came with an injured heart, and you found hard judgment. In those moments of injury, your heart begins to become hard. Sometimes it's not even the, the actual sin itself, but it's the consequences of sin. The unbearable weight of sin's consequences that wear you down over time. You've just experienced so much pain and death and brokenness, or maybe you've experienced a lot of that in one season, Maybe you've watched the consequences of sin wreck someone's life over and over and over again. I mean, you want the light of Christ to shine brightly in their life, but you just, you just don't know anymore. Our hearts begin to become hard. And praising God with a hard heart seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Hearts are heavy. Ephesians 4, verses 18 and 19 become a reality. They're darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Has your heart become hard today? It's okay to say yes. We all run through seasons where it does. When our hearts are hardening and praise seems ridiculous, it's kind of hard to know what to do. We just feel numb. Most of the times, you see, we don't even realize that this process is happening. 
We don't, we don't know that our heart is being hardened by our circumstances or by the sin in our life. And a lot of times we begin to realize it when something comes out of our mouths, just like it did the mouths of the Pharisees that day. You look at verse 39. As Jesus is coming down the mountain and they're praising him, all of a sudden it says, some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Sometimes that's us, isn't it? Everybody else seems to be having a good time and then something comes out of our mouths and we're like, whoa, where did that come from? It's the things that come out of your mouth, you see, that reveal the condition of your heart. So if you want to see if your heart is hardened to what God could be doing in your life, you have to ask yourself some questions about what's coming out of your mouth. Or in today's day and age, maybe you're asking, what's coming off the tips of my fingers? Am I talking about others behind their back or listening to others' conversations for info that I might share about them later? Have I spoken or typed something not true about someone else? Am I suggesting things in, in a text or a comment or a reply that could lead others to, to assume something false about someone else? You see, all those things could be an indication that your heart has become hard to what God is doing in your life. Am I like this set of Pharisees who speak from a place where they are convinced they are right, they've got it figured out, they know? Do I find myself complaining? Maybe not even out loud, maybe just to myself. Like there's just like this constant grumbler in the back of my head. All of these things you see are signs that, that our heart has become hard. It's been injured in this process of life. And when our hearts are hard, praise just seems ridiculous. It just seems ridiculous. So what softens a hard heart? What softens a hard heart? You know, it's pretty discouraging if you ask those researchers. Although they figured out how the hardening happens, they've been trying to identify ways to reverse this process of, of hardening in the physical heart. And they're yet to find anything that is even safe enough to try on a person. But there's good news for those of us whose spiritual hearts have hardened. Jesus resurrects hearts as hard as stones. He resurrects hearts as hard as stones. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm getting excited. It's the gospel. So, all right, Luke gives us this little nugget, this little nugget in verse 37 about Jesus' journey. Check it out with me. Now, he came near the path down the Mount of Olives. He came near the path down the Mount of Olives. So the picture painted, right? He's, he's at the top of this mountain. He's getting ready to come down this path into the city. So often I think we think about this day and we think about the city. But this journey, it started at the top of the mountain, and, and he's coming down the mountain as his disciples are chanting and singing and crying out praise to him. But there's something else that's going on on the side of this mountain, you see. Tombs. Tombs. At this point in history, the Jewish people had begun to bury their loved ones in caves and stones and, 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 and stone-covered tombs across the Mount of Olives. That, that tradition has continued today 
uh, even for the, these modern Jews. Like they continue to bury their dead on the side of the Mount of Olives. It's estimated that today there could be up to 150,000 tombs on the side of this mountain. That's larger than any cemetery in Kentucky. Now, there weren't that many then, but they had started this process of, of burying people on the side of the Mount of Olives. And so this is really important, right? Jesus is at the top of this path that comes down the Mount of Olives. And, and as it's lying with his disciples, but also in its presence are going to be these tombs, these, these people who are there. And why does this matter? And what does that have to do with Jesus resurrecting our hard hearts? Well, I want us to look back at Jesus' response to the Pharisees in verse 40. Jesus answered, I tell you, if they, the disciples, were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Do you see it? You see, Jesus isn't just making an arbitrary statement about being able to make rocks sing, although he could totally do that, and that would be awesome. Jesus is also making a prophetic statement about what is about to happen. Because you see, the disciples who are praising him on this path are going to be silenced in the coming days. They are going to be silenced by the cruel and evil rebuke of the Pharisees. But when Jesus dies on the cross, the rocks covering some of these tombs on the side of the Mount of Olives are going to cry out. And they're going to cry out because dead people made alive are going to walk out of them. Matthew includes this detail surrounding Jesus' crucifixion in his gospel. Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 and following. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. He dies on the cross. And when that happens, suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. Y'all, when Jesus says the stones will cry out, he had something way bigger in mind. The rocks cried out. You see, this statement from Jesus right here is exactly what happens. The people are silenced. Their hearts are hardened over the next week. They stop praising Jesus. But when Jesus dies on the cross, the rocks cry out. And this tells us something about the people who were there praising Jesus that day. These folks praising in the streets were able to sing and shout and chant because of what Jesus was doing in them right there in that very moment. He is reversing the hardening of their heart. He is holding it at bay. This week at Christ Community, we, we're, it, it sounds ridiculous to even think that whatever is going on in our lives, the hardness that has developed in our heart as a result of our sin or our circumstances or what's happening in our world, like any of those things, like Jesus can reverse the effects of those things and help us to praise him. And so this week at Christ Community, man, we just want it to be a week of praising him. We're going to remember and celebrate what Jesus did to reverse the hardening of our hearts. The first way, it comes out this afternoon. I'm so excited for this. Uh, on our podcast, The Backpack, um, we're going to release a special episode called Excruciate. That episode is an interview with Madeline Presley. You may remember uh, her dad, Dr. Mike Presley, who joined us uh, a few years ago on Good Friday. And 
he had this incredible presentation where he shares the medical explanation of Christ's death, the excruciating death of Christ. Mike has passed away, and, and Madeline, in a way of honoring him and honoring our Lord and praising him, has picked up her dad's ministry. And I, I promise you, you will, you will understand and appreciate the depth of Jesus' love for you in a way that you never have before. And so uh, tune into that. It should be released this afternoon. And uh, man, we cannot wait for, uh, to, for you guys to hear and to celebrate Christ's death in a special way through that podcast. I also want to encourage you to go to easternow.com. Easternow.com is a download for an app, and that sends notifications to your phone. So all through the week, you're getting these little notifications that remind you of what Christ was going through on this week as he was making his way to the cross for you and for me. Friday night at 6, right here, we're, we're gathering here again to read scripture and to sing back to God the beautiful truth of the gospel to sing about his death on the cross that freed all who would believe in him. Why is any of that possible? Why do we get excited about Jesus dying on the cross? Because when he died on the cross, it resurrected hearts that were as hard as stones. In 2004, uh, the band Casting Crowns was making arrangements to meet with a girl named Erin Browning. She was a young girl who had used one of their songs for a dance that she had performed at her, her school. And right around the time that the band met Erin, uh, she was diagnosed with cancer. Lead vocalist Mark Hall recalls watching as Erin's mom praised God through that season in spite of the devastating news. And uh, he began writing a song in her honor Unfortunately, it was a song that Aaron would never hear. She passed away in November 2004. But as he began to talk about the song, Mark said this. He said, watching Aaron's mother walk through this really showed me truth about my worship. Watching her walk through a real storm showed me that my worship was extremely situational. Some of you may recognize some of the lyrics to the song, Praise you in this storm that re was released in 2006. Follow along as I read some of these. I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped our tears away, stepped in and saved the day, <laughs> rode down the street, right? But once again, I say amen, and it's still raining. Well, as the thunder rolls, I barely hear your whisper through the rain. I'm with you. And as your mercy falls, I'll raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. I'll praise you in this storm. I will lift my hands, for you are who you are, no matter where I am. And every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. You never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I will praise you in this storm. Jesus resurrects hearts as hard as stones. In a moment, he can take everything in your heart that is dead and lifeless and hardening and skeptical 
and turn it into something that wants to praise him with everything you have. How did a mother losing her daughter praise God? Only because of Jesus. How do broken people sing beautiful praises to God? Only because Jesus helps them do it. How could we do something that feels so ridiculous? How could we have incredibly hard weeks? How could we walk through incredibly tough stuff and then come back to a place like this and say, I praise God for what is happening only by Jesus. But practically, how do we do that? How, how do we engage in that process? How do we begin to worship like Aaron Browning's mother worshiped? We have to recall the ridiculous things that we've seen God do. You see, Jesus resurrects hearts as hard as stones, but sometimes you forget that he can do that in you too. Somebody here today is here, and you've stepped into the church for the first time in a long time. And if you're honest with yourself, it was hard to do that. It was uncomfortable. But you also know that deep down, you are desperate for a good and loving king to enter your brokenness. You're desperate for someone to help you fix what is broken within you. You stepped out of church for you know, a long time ago because something happened that hardened your heart. Conflict, sin, apathy, it doesn't really matter. But it feels ridiculous to think that after being gone from that, you could just step in and start praising God freely your first day back. And yet, the good news of the gospel is that if Jesus can make rocks cry out, Jesus can resurrect your hardened heart today and free you to praise him with everything that you have. Somebody here feels incredibly alone and isolated in life. You're not sure how you got there, but all of a sudden it feels like it's you against the world and isolation is driving you crazy. You're here, but you long to be seen. You long to be engaged. You're, you're so consumed by the thoughts that, 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 like, does anybody see me? That giving your heart to praising God feels ridiculous in the moment, but the same is true. If Jesus can make the rocks cry out, if he can bring life from death, then Jesus can resurrect your hardened heart today and free you to praise him with everything that you have. We've talked a lot about marriages here in the last few months, and we'll continue to. Maybe your week has been filled with marital conflict and tension. And as you think about your marriage, what started with love now seems to be fading into a constant fight for leverage. You endure week after week after week that awkward drive to church where you want to just punch each other and then you, you're supposed to walk in with smiles. You keep hoping that going to church is just going to fix it. But instead, every time you feel anger and disappointment rising up in you, your heart seems to harden just a little bit more every time you try to take a step. And it feels ridiculous to think that you could praise God freely in the midst of all that junk. But if Jesus can make the rocks cry out, then Jesus can resurrect your hardened heart today. And you can praise him freely and trust him to bring you through this storm. Maybe you're not burdened by the brokenness of the moment because you still haven't healed from the brokenness of the past. Something traumatic. The trauma of last week, of last month, of last year, maybe even things that feel like a lifetime ago seem to be re-injuring your heart over and over and over again with triggers that seem to be hiding around every corner. 
For you, praising God doesn't just seem ridiculous. It could potentially trip a trigger that would shut your heart down completely. It's scary to praise God. But to you, I would say, if Jesus can make the rocks cry out, Jesus can resurrect your hardened heart today and free you to praise him and heal your broken heart. Maybe today as you make Easter preparations, Easter feels like just another holiday that serves as another reminder of those who aren't here. The grief of that is is overwhelming. It's debilitating to think about another holiday without them present. And so you do what any good American does. You work hard to endure it, to fight through it. But to praise God in the midst of that, that's ridiculous. Church, I have good news for you. We don't have to grieve without hope. If Jesus can make the rocks cry out, Jesus can resurrect your hardened heart today. He can wash over that grief with his goodness and his mercy and allow you to praise him freely. How will you find the courage to praise God today? How? You can find it in the same way that those disciples on the Mount of Olives did. You see, they they weren't free of sin. They had baggage. They had stuff that they had questions about and skeptical thoughts that they had, and their hearts were hardened because of things that they had been through. But if you look back at verse 37, it tells us, it gives us the way that they were able to praise. He says, Now I came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. And so as the band comes and we get ready to respond to the good news of God, and as we, as we try with everything we have to, to give ourselves to Christ and, and all those things, right, I have to, a, a question for you. What have you seen God do? What have you seen God do? As you look back over your life, has he protected you as you walked your own way? a way that was away from God? Has he kept you safe and preserved your life so that you could come to this moment and say, no, 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 I'm turning back to God. I'm giving my whole life to him. Has he been with you even when the enemy is telling you you are alone? Has he whispered in the middle of the storm, I'm with you? Has he gracefully challenged you when you're tempted to give in to sin? I keep saying, this is one that the Lord is is working over on me right now, right? Like, how graceful of God to not overwhelm us with everything that is wrong about us at one time. But just little by little by little, calling us back to holiness and obedience, right? Showing us one thing at a time that we can give back to him so that he can heal it and resurrect our broken heart. What has God shown you? What have you seen God do? Has he shown you all the ways that he's healed your heart over time? That he's helped you get to the place that you are? Has he restored something that was broken in you? Has he helped you grieve with hope? Has he preserved your life? Has he worked the miracle of salvation in you? Has he done in you what he did in Lucas Grider? 
Change that your heart of stone for a heart of flesh that was soft and tender and longed to praise God. And if he's done that, you've seen, you've been evidenced, like you've witnessed what God can do. What have you seen God do? Sometimes we forget that we aren't just reading Bible stories. We're being invited into the story that God is writing. Today, as we respond, if you're a baptized believer in Christ, you can make your way to the outside of the room. You'll be served communion. When you take communion, you'll get two cups. One has a a small wafer of bread in it, and the other some juice in it. And those help us remember Christ's death on the cross. As we remember that, I want us to remember what we read in Matthew. That at that moment that he gave up his spirit, the curtain was torn. The rocks were split. People walked out of the tomb. He can resurrect your hard heart in just the same way. If you've not been baptized, the water's warm. The water's ready. And we would love to help you make that decision. I'll be down front if you want to stop and catch me. Katie and Kenny will be in the back, wherever you're comfortable. But if you need to give evidence to the fact that God has saved you, if you're you're thinking maybe in my heart, I don't know that I'm saved, don't leave here. Don't leave this place without giving, giving it all to Jesus. So this morning, after you finish taking communion, the band's going to play. We're going to give you a little more time to respond. And uh, you can make your way. There's giving cans on the corner of the stage. But up here on this stage, there's some big rocks. And they can cry out. I want to encourage you, invite you. After you take communion, stop. There's markers down here. And just write one, two things that you've seen God do. Remind yourself, recall what you've seen God do. Because it's so important that we remember what God has done in our lives because that is what causes praise to well up in us. That is what helps reverse this this process of hardening in our hearts. And as we do that, the band will begin to play, and then we're going to sing, and we're going to praise God. And these rocks are going to be a testimony They're going to remind us of all that God has done in our church family and all that he will continue to do. Let me pray and lead us as we respond. Jesus, you can do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. We get so trapped in our thinking, by our circumstances, by, by what's right in front of us. But Lord, you see what's in us. And so I pray that you would send your spirit into this place right now to, uh, to guard our hearts and minds from the enemy, but also to speak truth. Lord, if there's anyone here that, that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that does not know him as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would give them faith right now. And for anybody who in this place is right now saying, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Like, 
Lord, I pray that you would walk with them, help them, be with them, help us to know and walk with them. Give them the courage to step out and say, I need to follow Jesus. I need to give my life to Jesus, but I'm not sure what's next. But Lord, I also pray that you would send your spirit in this place to speak to the hard hearts of believers. Soften them. Help us to praise you for all the things that we've seen you do. Give us faith for all the things that you've done in us and through us. Thank you, Lord. We are so grateful. Help us to praise you with all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, We hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in an experienced Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack, and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.